Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. How's everyone doing? Good. It's a great day. Hello to everyone watching online. I understand we had some internet issues. I think uh, the feed is back on. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or our website, um, welcome. And uh, yeah, it feels so. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. We are continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. And I don't know about you, but I am um, I'm enjoying this book. I was a little intimidated before I started because it's, it's, uh, it can be challenging, but I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, we're going to cover a couple of verses today. Um, Dig in deeply. We're in chapter 4. <clears throat> we're in chapter 4, and we're going to cover verses 14, 15, and 16. Now, the book of Hebrews is basically, it's actually like a sermon. So it's a letter, but it's, it's a sermon letter. It's written to a house church uh, that was uh, facing a lot of persecution, and a lot of people that were thinking about giving up on Jesus, thinking about giving up on Christianity, things were hard, you know, and, uh, and so the letter is really uh, meant to encourage them to not turn away, but to keep uh, the faith, and, uh, and so what the writer does is he says, listen, all the other options you're going to see aren't, have nothing, to com- they can't compare to Christ. If you want to follow an angel, he can't compare to Christ because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the very nature of God. If you want to follow the law of Moses, Moses is great, but he can't bring you into the promised land. He can only bring you so far. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. Joshua brought them into the promised land, but he didn't give him rest. Spiritual rest is only found in Jesus Christ. You can go to the bookstores and look for self-help stuff all you want and not find rest. Sometimes as Christians, we don't realize what we have in Christ. We say, thank you, Jesus, but now we look for something else to bring us life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Right? Life is consistent in knowing me. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Right? Jesus, the Father and, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's, that's life is found in Christ. We have what the world, what the world is looking for life. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until you lose it. And, and so he's like, no, don't go away. So now what he's doing now in this part of the letter, he's going to start transitioning to probably the most significant role that Jesus has, and that is as a high priest. Because at the end of the day, what you and I really need is somebody to stand before God for us, to, to atone for us, to, to pray for us, to, to be our spokesman, so to speak. No other religion do you have. Every other religion, you stand before God by yourself, and that's scary. Who atones for your sin? And so what he's going to do now is he's going to, starting in in this section for several chapters, focus on the priestly function of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is even a better priest than Aaron was. Aaron was the main priest in the Old Testament. Leviticus is all Levitical laws. And he's going to point that out that Christ is better. Well, Hebrews 4, let me just read this and then I will comment. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus 
Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly or draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can just say that verse all day long and be encouraged. I can just, just say, let's, let's, let's just camp out right here because if there's any other things you need, you need grace, you come to Jesus. You need, you need mercy, you come to Jesus. You're thinking about leaving, let's hold fast to the faith. Let's talk about all that. Now what the writer does, he's pointing us back to Christ as the great high priest. And what he did, uh, if you go back to the end of chapter 2, go to chapter 2 in verse 17, he kind of gave us a little, uh, little hint of what he's going to do. He says that he had to be made like his brothers in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And what he did from that point on until this point is he talked about the faithfulness of Christ as the high priest. Now, starting in verse 15, actually, of chapter 4, we'll say verse 14. By the way, your, their chapter divisions are all wrong. Chapter divisions aren't inspired. They were added a thousand years afterwards. I think the chapter division should have been start, started in verse 14 or 15. That's my opinion. Martin Luther, when he translated his Bible, actually did it there. It makes more sense. Because from verse 14 or 15 to chapter 5, verse 10, he then talks about the merciful high priest that we have. We have a merciful high priest. Now, this priestly talk, you know, we're not used to it because we're not used to having to go into the temple, go to the tabernacle day after day, year by week, by year by every, every single day there was something going on at the tabernacle. Fruit offering, a grain offering, a, 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 an animal offering of some sort. And then, of course, once a year was the big, the big daddy, right? The, the Day of Atonement. And the priest would go in there, and, of course, the high priest only can go through the Holy of Holies. You had, the, you, had, you had the outer sanctuary, right? The outer courts. And then you had the, the door into the temple itself, the holy place. But then you had the curtain, the thick, thick curtain, you know, that was into the Holy of Holies. It was dark in there, actually. It was, it was very... It was there, it was this ark, this box with gold on it. And inside it, of course, was the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that budded and some manna, you know. And then over atop it was was called a mercy seat. And he would go in there, he would make a sacrifice, he would sprinkle the, the, the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy, and then he would leave. He didn't linger. That was it. Once a year. And if he wasn't right with God, they would tie a rope around his leg because if he wasn't right with God, he would die. And of course, you can't just go in there and fetch his body. That's kind of, you're taking a chance. So they would you know, and of course, when he walked around, he had these little bells at the bottom of his robe. You just tell he's still alive. Oh, he's still living there, you know? But he would go in through this thick veil to, to offer the sacrifice. And guess what? Come back the next year. And then the next day, there was sacrifices. On and on and on and on and on, right? And the book of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus Christ is our great high priest. It's the word megas in Greek, and in, in Hebrew, it's actually... Same translation. Where he's, the great, like he's better than the other priest. Why? Because he doesn't have to go in, go in on constantly. It's like it's just one-time deal. He is the great high priest. Now, here, in this section here, there's two main points he's making, okay? Two main points. We're going to 
We're going to circle around these points. First point is, let us hold fast our confession. And these points are going to be related. Let us hold fast our confession. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's the first point. Let us hold fast. The second point is this. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now, both are needed and both are necessary, and the order is significant. The order is significant. And there's a lot here. <laughs> Three verses, you know. Three verses. You're, gonna get, we're gonna, you're just going dig, to dig deep. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest. What's a high priest? The high priest would represent you before God. He would make atonement and say, and take care of their sins. But the problem is, of course, they went year after year, day after day, year after year, and then he would die, and the next guy would have to take over. The writer says, we have such a great high priest that he did it one time, and that was it. Which means there's, which means, in fact, it says we have present tense. We have a high priest right now. Later on, Hebrews, says, it says that he ever liveth to Make, us, make intercession for us. The priestly role Jesus Christ fulfills right now. His role now is one of intercession. He accomplished the work of going through. Now, here it, here it describes he passed through the heavens. Now, that's an allusion to the fact that when, you, when the high priest went through the curtain, behind, like he went and then the curtain shut, then you prayed, Lord, help, help his sacrifice to be acceptable, help them come out alive, you know. But here, what he's doing here is, is he didn't just go through a curtain here on earth. He passed through the heavens, and it talks about in Hebrews how he entered the actual tabernacle of God in heaven. See, the one here on earth was man-made, uh, a, a symbol or an, an imitation, a copy of what was going on in heaven. He didn't go through the temple in Jerusalem. No, he went to the very, very presence of God. He went past the heavens. Book of, of Acts talks about Acts 1-9, how they're watching him go up and they disappeared, right? Now he's going through the heavens. Of course, in the heavenly spiritual realm, there's spiritual entities, there's good angels, bad angels. Like He's passing by. I, I, and he goes very much into the presence of God himself. The fact that he made it alive tells me that he was accepted. In fact, Scripture says the fact that he rose again meant that God accepted that sacrifice. Do you want to know you have confidence in whether God's going to accept what you have to say is, well, Jesus Christ was resurrected? That guarantees that God accepted what Christ did. That's good. That's why he, that's why he says, Jesus, this, the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now then it says, he, he says he's Jesus, the son of God. We got Jesus human and Jesus divine, right? Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. He's still human, and he's still God. Right now in heaven, there is a human... Now, he has a, a 2.0 version of the human body that doesn't age and get sick, right? Remember when he, he rose from the dead, and he passed through walls, and he, he still can eat, but he's, he's like better than Superman, because there's no kryptonite for Jesus, right? There's no, there's no weakness for Jesus. Or Batman, but Batman's not really a superhero in my books, but... Anyway, <laughs> my best friend, one of my best friends, he, he's a big Batman fan, and 
But Jesus, who's 100% man, 100%... See, you need him to be man to be a priest. You need him to understand, to live in human flesh, to understand what it's like, right? Otherwise, it doesn't count. But then you also need him to be God, because only God can take care of the sin that stained us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. What's our confession? I just said it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now here's the thing. This is foundational. Who you say Jesus is is really the foundational thing. If he's Jesus, the Son of, of, of God, he's Jesus, fully man, fully God, which tells me this thing. He had to be born of a virgin, which means that he had to be born be without sin, which tells me because he had to do that, it means that man is sinful. Why well, need a high priest if you're, if you're not sinful? So that means no one else qualified, no one born of man has been born who can qualify to serve that role. All of us have been tainted with sin. We inherit Adam's sin. That's... That's part of our confession, right? That's part of our confession. We're all frail. We're all sinful. Um, Jesus, the, 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 the son of Luke, said, Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. He's son of so-and-so, so-and-so, the son of Adam, the son of God. He traces all the way back to Adam, but he's still not he's unique because he's not stained by sin. But then now he's also the son of God. That's part of our confession. Well, if it, that means that tells me that not only is the fact that we are sinful man and Jesus is full of God and full of man, it also means that it was necessary that Jesus Christ died for the sins, the atonement on the cross. Do you realize today there's a big movement within, I won't even call it Christianity, that denies the substitutionary atonement? It's, called, it's progressive churches are denying the substitutionary atoning of, of Jesus. They're denying the inerrancy of Scripture, for one thing. If you deny the inerrancy of Scripture, then you're, you're, on, you're on worse than shaky grounds. You might as well walk on pebbles floating in the ocean. You're going to sink. Our confession is this, that man was born sinful, and the only way to pay for sin was the substitutionary atonement. Jesus says, Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. This is the only way. You have to have atonement. That's why it says he passed through the heavens. Why? Because he's doing what high priest did. But instead of the high priest on the day of atonement offering a sacrifice of bulls and goats and animals, he offers his own very own blood. And when he does that, God the Father says, accepted, done deal. And the book of the writer of Hebrews is saying, you're going to leave that? That's guaranteed. He's up there right now. You're going to try and invent your own sacrificial system? Oh, I don't believe God. At, uh, I think God is a cosmic killjoy and a, and a child abuser because he put his son to death. That's what's being taught out there in churches today. That's garbage. That's why he says, hold on to your confession. You know, the, the early church spent agonizing years even arguing over one letter, whether Jesus was fully human or looked like he was him? Was he really resurrected? Oh, that's another confession. He actually died, 
as part of our confession, but he also rose again. That's part of our confession, right? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who is alive, which means he died, but then he's alive, which means that he actually resurrected. Amen? The early church, some of the early writings we have in the scripture are creeds, like, for example, like 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, uh, well, what does he say in 1 Corinthians 15? We, we read it every time we do a communion, right? It's, he says, I give you what I've received, remember? Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Are you guys tracking with me? Now I make known to you, brothers, 1 Corinthians 15. This is important because without this, without the resurrection, there's no confession of faith, right? For I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaim as good news to you, which also you received in which you stand, in which, by which you are also are saved. What's the gospel? Well, the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose bodily, the resurrection. That's foundational. Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven. Why? Because he resurrected. Why? Because he was successful in atoning for our sin. Do you rest on his atonement or do you rest on you trying harder to do better next time to atone for your sin? Do you do like I do and I beat myself up for my past sins? Do I look at myself and my past or do I look at Christ? Do I look at the cross? At the end of the day, it's the cross of Christ that matters. And guess what? Because that's already done in history, God won't go back in time and change that and take it back. You can try to push that wall and try to move that stone, but it won't move. Paul says, in First Corinthians, he basically says the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of our faith. If Christ is not alive, we are toast. I'm paraphr- that's the John Corp paraphrase. It hasn't been published yet. Anyway, back to Hebrews. Hebrews 4. Now, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, the confession that Jesus is God, that Jesus is man, the man has been sinful, that Jesus died, the atoning uh, sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection. What else? That means also that there's an opportunity to place your faith in Christ. Why would God do this? And let them say, hey, hey, believe in what I'm doing. Believe in what I've done. He tells Nicodemus, whoever believes on me will have life, right? Will not perish, but have eternal life. That's part of our confession. You need to have the confession thing laid down, right? That's why I'm having the church memorize scripture. What are the truths that we held? What are the truths that are immovable? Not my feelings. How many of you guys live by feelings a lot of times? I'm going to raise both my hands because that's, I do that a lot. I live by feelings. God, where are you? God, I feel this. Anyway, and it's like, it's like flying in the fog and you're never flown. But you're like, which way is up? Which way is down? I don't know. This is foundational. This is your anchor, the confession of faith, the truth, the doctrine. That's why we're important on teaching the truth of God's word, not feelings. I don't fly by feelings. Now, sometimes my feelings are really convincing, Right? They sound really, and the devil's like, you know, you're just a da-da-da, you know, and he gets to you and makes you feel, maybe you're right, you know, and you, and you feel so oppressed. It takes faith to say, but despite what my feelings are, I'm going to believe what the word of God says. God, this word doesn't change. That's why it's important that we believe that God's word is inerrant because it is not full of errors. It is unchangeable. It is something dependable. 
because whether I'm 50 or 80 or 20, I don't know what circumstance of life I will be in where I have to say, I need this word right now. That's why this word is alive. This word, this word that, is, that is relevant for the world is relevant every single age, to every single person, no matter who you are, what you've gone through, what you've done, what you experience. Amen? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Can I just grab a cup of water here? I thirst for his word. I thirst for his truth. Let us hold fast our confession. Oh, by the way, if that's true, if we hold fast that Jesus rose from the dead, the ascended into heaven, that means also what he said is true. He says, I am the way and the truth of life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, people have a hard time with that. They hate the whole exclusivity thing. You see those, those silly bumper stickers that says coexist? Do you know every letter of that silly bumper sticker hates what Jesus said? Hates it. I, I don't want, I have time to go into that nonsense because we want to feel, oh, every, there's all ways to heaven. No, Jesus says, I'm the only way. I'm the only one who died on the cross for your sins. I am the only one who de- defeated death and resurrected. I'm the only one who's sitting next to the Father interceding for you. That guy, Muhammad, Muhammad he's dead. Confucius, Buddha. No offense to world religions. New Age people. No, no. All these angels you want to follow? Only Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said it. You have a problem? Take it up with Jesus. He also proved it, didn't he? Our lives throughout history of the Christian church have been changed. My life has been changed. You've got, hopefully, if you, follow, if you follow Jesus, he will change your life. He'll make you brand new. No man spoke like this. Who speaks since life happens? Lazarus, come forth. He could have spoke a gazillion other names. and we're always, Here I am, Lord. You're right? Only he has the power because he is God himself. Let us hold fast to our confession. You can memorize the creeds, which was important, the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the, the Apostles' Creed. I remember I was growing up Catholic and we had to do the Apostles' Creed every, every Mass, right? Why? Because it was important that we were clear on what we believed. Those creeds were important. What, what exactly? Do you know the earliest creed, they, uh, my, uh, my understanding is, uh, within, I think it was in, the, um, in Galatians or the Book of Acts where I should have looked it up. Where it was formulated, they think, with even with, within months of the resurrection. Even, even former believing scholars, scholars who have left the faith, who are not believers anymore, they, they acknowledge that some of the early creeds in the book of Acts, and I think Galatians as well, come from within months that they established that Jesus died, was, you know, was crucified, died, buried, and rose again. They had this, like, we got this right you know, that's why it's important that we know our history, isn't it? Jesus didn't just invent Christianity yesterday. We think it's all new. It's like, no, it's important that we know the foundations of our faith in the Word of God. Hebrews 4. You guys with me? All right, all right. Where was I at? Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, let us take hold of our confession that Jesus, the Son of God, has ascended. That's our confession. Who Jesus is. Jesus says, 
Who do people say that I am? Peter says, you are, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're, you're the Christ. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. By the way, when we go to Israel, we're going to go to that place where he said that. It's kind of cool. So let us take hold of our confession. Let us be clear on the essential doctrines. Let us be clear on what Jesus says, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. But then he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Ah, it's one thing for Jesus to be up in heaven, but sometimes you think, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're not earthly good, right? What can Jesus do to help me? Because he's so way up there in heaven. But if he's man and God, there's significance to that. Why? Here's why. Because he understands how temptation works. He understands the frailty of human beings. This says that we are, it says weakness right here. It's the, so there's a word called, um, there's a word for strength. And it's the opposite, which means weakness or sickness or frailty. It talks about the, we're human, right? We're not Superman, we're, we're human. Do you know that Jesus, now this is what's really cool. So you and I are sinful people, right? And for some of us, temptation comes our way. And let's just imagine that this is a resistance meter, right? Temptation comes our way. Some of us, our resistance meter is way down here. And some of us, we can resist temptation like that, right? But there's a point where all of us, there's a point where all of us maybe can, you know, some of us may give in sooner to temptation, but Jesus doesn't have a resistance. In other words, temptation hits him even more fully. Because he's fully God, because he is sinless, it hits him even more fully. You and I would give in a lot sooner than he gives in. He would never give in. By the way, I don't think it was ever possible for Jesus to sin. That's, that's, a, that's a whole theological discussion, whether is it, is, is it impossible or possible for Jesus. I don't think it was possible. But the point is this, that now he faced temptation throughout his life even more fully than we would, because we would, we would have given in way down here. He's up off this charts, and he's still not giving it, which tells me that he can help us and understand us. It says that he understands our weaknesses. In fact, go to chapter 5, like verse 1 or 2, right? He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself is, present tense, also beset with weakness. The word beset means to have it hung around. That means it's still around him. In other words, this is what gets me. As a human being, there's still some, some sense of frailty as a human being, though he's God. I can't explain how it works, but he understands the limitations of human beings. That means he, he sympathizes with us because he has walked there. He knows what it's like to feel discouragement. He knows what it's like to feel the pain, to be tempted, to experience what we he knows firsthand. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He actually uses a double negative in Greek, which in English, double negative cancels out because like, it's like it's math, you know. But in Greek and also Hebrew, it emphasizes it's, it's two negatives, ume, which means that he, he, although he, we do not have one who cannot sympathize, which means all the more he can sympathize with whatever we face. Jesus Christ, who's been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. It wasn't just the 40 days of temptation before his ministry. His whole life, 
It was, Father, let this cup pass from me. There's a temptation right there. I'm about to go to the cross. Is there another cup? But he says, no, not, not my will, but that. What does that mean? What's significant about this? First of all, it implies that temptation we have to take seriously. Temptation, he says, listen, if you're being tempted, go to Christ. It implies, well, let me just look at something here because I wrote something down and I don't want to forget it. Implies if temptation is real. Like, listen, look at the text again. Look at the text. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things like we, yet without sin. Therefore, because he's able, because he understands it, before he's com- because he's compassionate, therefore then let us go or draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Because Jesus understands temptation, there's an opportunity to get help to face that temptation, which tells me that temptation is actually something you should be concerned about. See, some of us just rest in our position in Christ. But position also ought to lead to practice. We're not just believers, believers in, our, in our heads. Or we're believers in our hearts and our mind and our hands and our feet and, what, and how we live our life, right? Some people claim to be followers of Christ. They don't live like Jesus. That tells me also that sin, when, it enters, when, it, when temptation comes, it can have real effects. If Jesus is in heaven right now, ready to help you with temptation... ready to give you grace in that temptation. It means that sin is serious, even for the believer. Right? Amen. It means it actually matters how we live and it matters which also tells me that if there's temptation, that, that the spiritual battle is real, that there's always something that wants to pull you away from Christ, that wants to pull you away from living dependent on him, that wants to pull you into self or isolation or all kinds of other stuff. We're not done here until we're in heaven. We're going to face everything as prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? Bro, to leave a God I love. Which means all the more we need the best help we can get. And whoever else, who else can help us but Jesus Christ? Then he says, because Christ understands us, then let us come with confidence, right? The word confidence, it actually means to speak freely. It literally means uh, to have freedom of speech or to speak boldly. Or, or, so this is ta- an invitation to prayer. I remember one time I was facing a temptation. I was praying. Then I called a friend of mine and I said, I'm facing a temptation. Pray for me. You know, because, you know, you know that, that the, the narrow gate, you know, and the, and the way off the road is, and you, get, you need all the help you can get. This is not Lone Ranger Christianity, right? 
It also implies all of us are going to face some sort of temptation, doesn't it? All of us are going to face some, some, some sort of temptation. Let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. That means it's an invitation by God that's continual. We have, present tense, a high priest in heaven. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Ah, it's a throne of grace, amen? It's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of, it's not a throne of judgment. Judgment was carried on the cross. It's not a throne of, of, of power, you know. It is a gracious throne, which tells me it's an invitation. It's inviting. It's welcoming. Jesus says, I understand what Father, what he's facing, she's facing. I understand, you know, he needs, it's, it's, it's fine grace. It's the throne of grace, which means, that tells me that's how God rules for his children. Amen? God says to Moses, here's my, here's my, here's my, um, my, my attributes, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, right? We have the God, oh, excuse me, we have the God who's, uh, who's ever so gracious because he understands our weaknesses really. Here's Jesus saying, who's right there right now next to God, seated next to God, available. But it implies though to receive grace and mercy, you have to go to him. You have to see a father, Lord. And if it's a throne of grace that is from God, now God's a big God, right? God is also very gracious. He's more gracious than you and I. Some of us, we, our grace level is this high, right? <laughs> I've reached my limit of grace. But God has infinite grace, which tells me he is ready to give infinitely gracious to whatever you're facing, which also tells me this. It tells me that what... That, Ask big, right? Ask big from the heart of God, Lord. Let's come confidently, boldly, like we belong there. So I was, okay, so I, I was flying um, the other day. I fly Southwest, a little plug for Southwest, right? And they, they board you. A, 1 through 30, 30 through 60, B, 1 through 30, 60, C, right? Okay. I got A1. I upgraded, right? So I got the little thing. I'm like, A1, right? So I'm at the airport. And of course, you know, I like to line up a little bit beforehand. You got the little pole things. You guys are flying there, you know. They have the, they have the pole things, you know, tells you, right? So it's about, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes or whatever it is before the flight. And there's this guy... So like, like, let's say the pole for lining up is right here. Here's number one should be right here, right? There's this tall six foot five guy, intimidating guy, standing right here. Like here's number one. He must have been number two or something like that. Because I, and I looked at my ticket. It said eight one. I didn't go up to the gentleman and say, "Can I go in front of you?" I didn't go up to the gentleman and say anything. I walked up, and stood right in front of him. Why? Because I knew I belonged there. I knew this was my spot. He was big. He must have been a basketball player. I mean, he was a big guy. Deep voice. He's on the phone doing some business deal, you know. He must have been number two. Then I didn't have to, like, oh, you know, excuse me. I, 
I just walked up and took my place. I was confident because I knew I belonged there. See, that's why knowing your confession, knowing the truth of God's word, gives you confidence in prayer. You know who Jesus is, what he's given you, and what you are entitled to in, in God. I'm entitled to help in this temptation need. I'm entitled to, to grace for what I'm facing. You can come boldly like that. That sounds... You know, obviously, he's God, so you don't come like you're... You know. You still come recognizing who he is, but you still come knowing, hey, I got A1 ticket right here. I can go right before, I can go first in line before God. Why? Because I know what the word says. Let us come boldly. Let us come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy and grace. Mercy, of course, is helping somebody who's in distress and need. And grace is giving somebody what they actually, what we, what the, the favor we need. We need constant favor. This throne of grace is it's always available. You say, God, this is my 20th time coming to you today. Keep coming. You haven't exhausted my patience meter. Keep coming. I got more to give, right? Then he says, let us come boldly that we may find help in time of need. You know that word help? That word help is a really cool word. I want you to go to uh, the book of Acts. And uh, <clears throat> Acts... Um, I think it's 21. Let me, let me look it up real fast. This, is, this word is reused only one other time in the scripture. And uh, Acts 27, rather. Acts 27. Watch this. This is really cool. Let us come boldly that we may find help in time. Acts 27. This word is used one other time in scripture, and it's a great picture. It, okay, help is cool, but this is even better. In Acts 27... Paul is on a ship, and a storm comes. Look at verse 14. But before very long, Acts 27, 14, but very, before very long, there rushed down from the island a, a violent storm, a wind called the uh, Araquilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way and let ourselves be carried along. How many of you guys are being carried along in a storm right now? And after running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they hoisted it up, they used, here's the word, supporting cables in undergirding the ship. That's the same word for help in Hebrews. They use cables under the ship to keep it together, to keep it from falling apart. That's help. Sometimes in life, the things are falling apart and you can't keep it together. God gives you grace and mercy. If you come to him in prayer and trust me, lie, he gives you what you need to keep going, right? And help time, time of need. That's the grace of our God, isn't it? I don't know, that's awesome. If you haven't experienced that help, maybe you're not coming to God in prayer. Maybe it's you're trying to do it on your own because human nature is, God, I got it this time. I think I learned my lesson. Thank you very much. We'll see you later, you know. No, that's not the point. If Jesus is a high priest now and forevermore will be, there's a lifelong of help that we get from Christ. 
Therefore, since we have such a high, great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come, let's draw near with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you trusting in Christ to help you in time of need? Certainty in prayer, or confidence in prayer, rather, comes from certainty of doctrine. If you know your confession, you know the truth, then you can rely on that and come to God with it and be confident in prayer and say, Lord, I need your help. And he's always, 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 no matter what you feel, he's always willing to help. And help from God is, help, is better help than any other person give you. Amen? You can't get much higher, much better help than God. I got help from God. Whoa. Stand back. Now, does it mean all your problems will go away? No. But it means there's always an opportunity before the throne of God, the throne of grace. There's always an opportunity. We have a high priest, present tense. Guess what? That was 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. We will always have a high priest who's ready to intercede and help and give us grace that we need because he realizes that we are weak. We, he realizes that we are frail. He realizes that temptation is strong. He realizes that we can't do it alone, but he's ready to help us always. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you're such a wonderful high priest, that you're such a wonderful a friend and, and our God who's gracious. Lord, we don't come to the throne of rejection, Lord. We come to the throne of grace. We don't come to the throne of somebody who is deserving, Lord. You took care of all that. We come to the throne of grace and mercy and compassion. And your grace and your mercy and compassion are infinite. They don't run out. Help us, Lord, as believers, Lord, tonight to recognize that we have a God we can run to when we are facing situations that cause us to want to give up, to run away, to turn into sin, to turn the wrong direction. We have a God we can turn to, Lord. We have a Savior who did it all for us. And we want to hold fast to that confession that Jesus, the Son of God, born without sin of a virgin, Live the perfect life. He taught us of the ways of the kingdom of God. Taught us your word. He lived his life in such a way that we have somebody to emulate. But at the same time, at the, at the most important thing, he atoned for our sin with his precious, sinless blood as the Lamb of God. And three days later, he rose again. And right now, he is, right now, right now, this very instant, Lord, you are in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding giving grace to those who draw near to you, Lord. Let it be that when situations come, we run to you because we know we belong there, Lord. We have the ticket. We have the truth. We have the, the confidence of our confession to be certain in prayer that you won't turn us away, but you'll give help. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up?
God is good, God is good, God is good. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance. Now envision that when you're going to God in, in prayer, that there is a big smile on God the Father's face and say, there's my child. Have that vision of God. That's me. Lift up his countenance upon you. And give you his peace. In Jesus' name. God bless you. See you guys next time. Amen.